Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. I'm Carla Nappi, and this is New Books in East Asian Studies. Welcome and thanks for joining us again. I just got off the Skype phone with Hideaki Fujiki to talk with him about his new book, Making Personas, Transnational Film Stardom in Modern Japan. This came out with the Harvard University Asia Center in 2013. Now, as you'll hear over the... I'm Carla Nappi, and this is New Books in East Asian Studies. Welcome and thanks for joining us again. I just got off the Skype phone with Hideaki Fujiki to talk with him about his new book, Making Personas, Transnational Film Stardom in Modern Japan. This came out with the Harvard University Asia Center in 2013. Now, as you'll hear over the um, course of the interview to come, this is a book that is simultaneously a contribution to how we understand modern Japan and stardom specifically, and also how we understand modernity as a kind of transnational process of co-production. And so the book takes us through successively a number of case studies, a number of different kinds of contexts, different forms of the circulation of images and discourse that lead us through a transition in the way that Japanese stardom was conceived from an early case um, where the film stars are sort of these, these figures called benshi who with their bodies and their voices physically narrate um, and guide readers through what at that time were silent films to the end of the story where we have figures like Mary Pickford and Clara Bow in addition to the emergence of some colonially modern film stars and some Japanese film stars who embody a completely different way of being an embodied vocal um, imaged discursive star. So it's a fascinating study. It's a very, very rich study. And we really um, just covered little bits and pieces of the narrative. But I think you'll get a sense from the interview to come of the overall arc of the book and of the story um, in terms of its major transformations from beginning to end. So if you are a film buff, if you're interested in the history of film and cinema, and if you're interested in um, simply the sort of history and conceptual study of modernity, or if you just really like um, histories of Japan, this is a book for you. So I hope you have a chance to pick up a copy of the book and read through it, and I hope you enjoy the interview to come. Thanks very much for listening. I'm here to talk with Hideaki Fujiki about his new book, Making Personas, Transnational Film Stardom in Modern Japan. Welcome to New Books in East Asian Studies, Hideaki, and thanks very much for navigating this really tricky time difference with me and for making time to talk with me about a book that I really enjoyed. So thanks for being here with me. 
Thank you. Thank you for your interest in、uh, my book. And it's a great pleasure to be here and to talk about my book. Thank you. My pleasure. So, Hideaki, could you start us off by saying just a little bit about your background and specifically, how did you come to decide to work on the history of modern Japan?、Mm. <clears throat> yeah, actually,、um, my field、uh, has been、uh, film studies.、Okay. I,、um, I completed my PhD at the University of Wisconsin Medicine. And that was、uh, 10 years ago. And, but at that time,、uh, so my field is、um, film studies, but、uh, when I decided、um, that topic for my dissertation, I chose、uh, Japanese films. And then、um, one, of the, one of my interests is to historicize Japanese cinema and also、um, contextualize. Uh, films uh, in the uh, historical、um, environment. So,、um, mm, modern Japanese history is a kind of a secondary topic for me. <laughs>、uh, film studies first. And then,、uh, but of course, I was、uh, really, really interested in that、uh, history. So, I, I tried to combine the、um, Historical studies, especially Japanese,、uh, film, modern Japanese history with the, um, um, the, the films.、Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the really notable and really nice things about the book is that the approach here to the focus of the book, which is a history of and a history of the transformations of Japanese film stardom in、mm-hmm. the early 20th century, is one that's very deeply contextualized historically. And so I really, as a historian, I really appreciate it that、Thank、I read the book.、So、yeah. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about how you came to that particular focus? Why Japanese film stardom specifically、mm-hmm. as an object, and why the early 20th century?、Mm-hmm. Uh, why film, film stardom?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, actually,、uh, <clears throat> so when I、uh, try to find a theme for my、uh, dissertation, I.、Um, I was struggling <laughs>、uh, to find which、um, topic、um, was good,、uh, suitable for me.、Mm-hmm. And、um, the first I came up with is modernity. And, but the,、um, <clears throat> uh, 10 years ago, well, even now,、uh, many、uh, film studies as scholars. Uh, interested in the issue of modernity.、Mm-hmm. And so、uh, I felt that I need、uh, to differentiate from my study from other scholars. And then、um, while reading、uh, some literature in film studies, I found the star system was star studies are quite interesting and.、Uh, Uh, useful to look at、um, uh, history. And then,、um, <clears throat> uh, more specifically, as I、uh, discussed in my book,、um, I found 
the star system and stardom uh, involving with many uh, historical factors. Uh, there is um, uh, social, political, economic, and cultural in the historical context. So uh, I thought that if I uh, analyze uh, the stardom as a kind of system or the, the structure or process, uh, I might also be able to uh, think about the history in itself. <laughs> and in other words, uh, stardom is a good uh, material uh, through which to examine the, uh, the issues of uh, modernity. Mm-hmm. So this is my um, primary. Uh, this was yeah my primary motivation to to take up to take the um, stardom as my topic. Great, thank you. Now you mentioned <laughs> early on in the book that the book began um, in its earliest incarnation as a dissertation. So can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that transition? Were there any major changes in the project and how you were thinking about it, how you shaped it, how you were writing it in mm. the transformation between dissertation to book? Mm. <clears throat> Basically, uh, my book is based on the dissertation and. Um, Mm. I didn't change. I, actually, I didn't make a major change <laughs> from my dissertation. Um, but yeah, I, I tried to shape up um, many aspects of the dissertation to, to uh, publish, publish it as a book. And um, because I... <laughs> I have to, I have uh, I have been teaching in Japan. Um, I have had many opportunities to write um, in Japanese instead of English, mm-hmm. and so some of the parts of this book have been uh, published in Japanese. And actually, the uh, I first <clears throat> wrote um, the the the. the original book in Japanese. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and so the, um, mm, in the process from my dissertation to, to the, this uh, latest book, mm-hmm. um, I have revised many times in both Japanese and English, but the basic body in itself uh, hasn't changed. Probably the introduction has dramatically changed. I, I try to um, to uh, to show a wider perspective, wider uh, theoretical perspective mm-hmm. to approach the stardom in modern Japan, and and also uh, I try to consider the readership of of this book. So, um, the, yeah, of course, uh, many dissertations <laughs> uh, assumes the quite narrow <laughs> readers, right? Mm-hmm. So the, um, at this point, I have tried to change, but 
Otherwise, mm, basically the same <laughs> in terms of the body. Yeah. <clears throat> so the the introduction of the book lays out some of the major um, kind of conceptual and theoretical frameworks that mm-hmm. the rest of the book is going to build on and assume. And so we've already talked a little bit about um, the approach being very deeply historical. Um, you mm-hmm. also talk here in the introduction about the importance of using modernity as a kind of mm-hmm. analytic framework. And we'll talk That's a little right. bit yeah, about that. Can you um, maybe open by talking a little bit about that, in what ways for you is it important to use modernity as an analytic frame in the book? And perhaps how does your approach to Mm. modernity here um, importantly differ from some other approaches to modernity in modern Japan? Mm. Yeah, that's a very, very important question. Sorry. Um, Maybe uh, we, you'll be, um, yeah, it'll be uh, helpful for us to understand this uh, this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, let me repeat once once again. Um, <clears throat> so the um, yeah, it'll be helpful to to compare the. Uh, modernity approach mm-hmm. with the um, nation-state approach, maybe we can say. <laughs> uh, so, in previously, many Japanese, many uh, studies of Japanese cinema is based on the national framework. And so the um, <clears throat> um, so those this kind of study tends to um, confine the Japanese films in the um, national boundary of Japan. And in other words, uh, they tend to um, look over the the relationship uh, between Japan or Japanese films and um, Films and films abroad or uh, um, <clears throat> other countries or other areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So modernity, I thought, uh, could help us to uh, look at Japanese cinema <clears throat> not uh, simply as national cinema, but uh, to to look at the interactions um, between Japanese context and global context. So, and also um, modernity or the uh, the level of modernizations are mm-hmm. different, very, uh, depending on the regions or areas or uh, nation. So such kind of um, imbalance or mm, unevenness uh, can be observed through the lens of modernity. So this is a basic idea (laughs) I try to use the concept of modernity, you know. 
Thank you so much. And one of the really striking things about the book is that it does take a very explicitly transnational approach. Mm-hmm. And it's transnational, not in the way that would propose um, a kind of um, simplistic American, for example, influence that was passively accepted or dealt with mm-hmm. by Japan and Japanese mm-hmm. audiences, but rather a very active co-production and a very active fashioning of this very transnational modern film culture um, mm-hmm. in a way that really um, was not reducible to a kind of East-West binary or mm-hmm. a West-Japan binary. So that's one of the really wonderful and very striking things, I think. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is one of the um, important points I wanted to to make. Yeah. Well, that's really clear. So I think, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah. So after we move from the introduction, we get into a series of four parts of the book that each treat a particular aspect of the development of film stardom and the film star system as it emerged and changed from about the 1910s through the 1940s. So the first part of the book looks at early Japanese film stars, and it Mm -hmm. focuses mainly on Benshi. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Benshi, great. Um, Benshi and on a particular figure, um, a particular Japanese film actor as well. So the first chapter sets the stage, and, and I, um, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about this because this really does lay a foundation for a lot of what's to come. So it sets the stage by looking closely at the history of Benshi, and these are Japan's first film stars. So mm-hmm. the idea here is that we need, at least as I understand it, we need to understand this early um, group of film stars in order to understand the character and the importance of the kinds of changes and transformations that come after this, right? So to, to start us off, can you explain for listeners, um, just kind of briefly introduce, who are these Benshi and what's important about their mode of performance that we need to understand to understand their particular mode of stardom? Mm. Yes. Who did you say? Who is? Yeah. Who, who, who was who the Benshi? I mean, for for a listener who doesn't, okay. who's never heard this word and <laughs> knows nothing about this, um, yeah. what did the listener need to know to understand um, okay. how to integrate this into your argument? Yeah, and maybe there are um, some several ways to explain about Benshi. Sure. Uh, okay. So, so the Benshi is the a voice performer. Uh, who is standing uh, on the side of the screen or sitting, sometimes sitting on the uh, side of the screen to give explanation or narration or uh, dialogues uh, for the characters on screen. Mm -hmm. Is it clear? (laughs) Yes, yes, that's totally clear. And so the um, so probably as you know, uh, early cinema, uh, especially uh, in generally uh, before the nineteen thirty, uh, most of the uh, films were silent cinema, which means that uh, film in itself didn't have uh, sound, but um, so. Uh, instead of uh, giving uh, voices or sound uh, through film in itself, uh, someone was accompanied with 
uh, screened film uh, <laughs> gave <laughs> sounds and uh, uh, voices. So the uh, um, uh, sometimes orchestras uh, played music on the side of the screen. And so Benshi was uh, kind of uh, the person who explained <laughs> the ongoing uh, moving image. But the, uh, the style of the Benshi, uh, I mean, <clears throat> there are several ways of, several styles of uh, Benshi performances. And that starts, um, mm, yeah, of course, uh, the styles are different individually. In, I mean, the um, depending on the individual benshi, but also the styles um, change uh, over time, uh, especially uh, from the 1910s through 1920s or early I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. no, that's perfect. That's great. I sort of, when I was reading this part of the book, I yeah, kind of, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I've imagined them as kind of early Japanese version of Mystery Science yeah. Theater 3000. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen this? <laughs> Sci-fi. Anyway, um, so so it's a really striking, um, yeah. really striking kind yeah. of way of thinking about the interaction yeah. between a speaking body and yeah. a film. And so the first chapter begins uh, this lo- the story of this long transformation of Japanese film stardom by mm. taking us through the kind of height of the popularity of these benshi, which changes mm. in 1917 as they become institutionalized. Right. So they yeah. become supervised under the Ministry of Education and the Home mm-hmm. Ministry. And this yeah. institutionalization kind of ironically mm-hmm. also marginalizes them. Yeah. Right? Um, so they become increasingly marginalized. And the chapter yeah. is really a fascinating window into this that also is um, for listeners who may not immediately know that the book does this, mm-hmm. um, it's also a really interesting way to approach a history of bodies and embodiment mm-hmm. because you talk mm-hmm. here about the importance of the bodies um, and how they use their bodies to, yeah. to a Benchy performance and how this really mm-hmm. kind of changes with the arrival of talkies in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. So after this, we move to a chapter that looks at a particular uh, famous early Japanese film star. And this mm-hmm. is Onoe Matsunosuke. Mm-hmm. Now, he was cast, as you put it, in more than a thousand films, which mm-hmm. is kind of a, a number that's kind of, uh, you know, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of listeners, difficult to even conceptualize, you know, acting mm-hmm. in more than a thousand films. Yeah. Um, now, he becomes a set piece um, through which we understand Um, sort of transformations, some important transformations in the sort of early stardom of Japanese film actors. So Mm -hmm. could you you introduce him for us? What do we need to understand about Onoe uh, Matsunosuke in order to understand why, like his importance to the argument that you're making in this part of the book? Mm. Yeah. So I discussed the Onoe Matsunosuke as the most uh, representative early star, early star mm-hmm. or the star, uh, the star in early cinema, Japanese early cinema. And so, uh, but he was an uh, enormous uh, popularity. Um, um, yeah, but yeah, I, I 
uh, I wanted to discuss him, uh, especially because he uh, represented the the uh, some of the important characteristics of early early type of cinema, uh, sorry, and film star. <laughs> yeah, and he came from the uh, low rank uh, kabuki theater. Actually, there are two types of kabukis. One is the more legitimate and prestigious kabuki, but the other one is uh, low rank (laughs) kabuki. Yeah, and so he he came from the the latter, the uh, low rank uh, kabuki theaters. And so the um, so one of the interesting point is that the 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 connection between. that theatrical uh, stream and Japanese cinema, and and uh, early Japanese films were um, strongly uh, connected with theatrical tradition. So, uh, in a way, epitomizes uh, such connection. Then the uh, so the star, um, some characteristic of the his stardom. Uh, took over uh, some aspects of uh, theatrical style. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to highlight this aspect. But on the other hand, he, he was also important <laughs> in that he mediated the uh, the relationship between theater and uh, films. Uh, he, uh, <clears throat> he, uh, so he <laughs> uh, not only uh, was he was not only influenced by the um, theaters, but also he uh, uh, kind of invented the filmic representation. Well, presentation of himself as a star, so uh, we can um, observe the um, interaction or mediation of theater and cinema through looking at him as a star. <laughs> so, yeah. Great, thank you, and and um, that's really helpful. And the chapter mm-hmm. also talks about a couple of other central themes that I'll just mention for listeners without um, going Mm -hmm. into detail, just so that they know it's there. Um, The chapter also talks about in much of the same, or in a very similar way to what you just mentioned, this kind of dual persona of the mm-hmm. film star that he embodied, right. right? The sort of a virtuosic persona and also mm-hmm. a great man. And also mm-hmm. you talk here um, for, for listeners who are interested in um, business and sort of the way business history and theater and uh, theater yes. and film history are related. You talk mm-hmm. about the importance of a troupe based corporate business model uh-huh. and the ways that that actually um, transforms stardom and shapes yeah. the stardom. So that seems like a really important point in this yes. book. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so after, yeah. Um, mm. So we could talk a whole lot more about that, but I'd, I'd like to also like let's get to mm. some of the other parts of the book. Mm. So um, after this first part of the book, we move to part two, and this is a part of the book that analyzes the film stardom of American film actors, mm. images of them, and sort of images become really important in a way we'll talk about in a moment. Images of them gained currency from the mid 1910s, and this chapter looks at that process. Mm. Now. Chapter three takes us into a lot of different aspects of this. It first introduces um, the formation of a, what you call a strategic star system in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then it looks at the ways that the circulation of visual images and also discourses of these American stars in Japan became crucial to their stardom. So mm-hmm. you, you take us into the example of Mary Pickford mm-hmm. um, and talk about the sort of how Mary Pickford is taken up and understood as a star and the implications of this for understanding stardom in Japan. So could mm-hmm. you maybe talk a little bit about that as a way of kind of helping us understand um, this larger point about circulation of images and discourses, mm. perhaps. Yeah. Actually, there are so many things I want to yeah. talk about. <laughs> whatever, so, you'd like, uh, whatever you'd like to mention, whatever yeah. you find most interesting, that'll be mm. the best for us. So the, the fundamental, uh, yeah, the most fundamental uh, interest I had is is the um, uh <clears throat> I wanted to uh, discuss the Japanese film history uh, not as the confined Japanese <laughs> confined Japanese border, as I said, but the um, <clears throat> uh, I wanted to highlight the transnational aspect, as I uh, mentioned uh, very early mm-hmm. in this interview. And so the uh, uh, the film, or especially image, uh, is not restrained by the language. Uh, every, every, uh, virtually everybody can share uh, the image uh, beyond the uh, borders, like a national border, right? So uh, I wanted to uh, pay attention to that aspect, especially because I discussed the film, 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 which is uh, different from language. So the, um, <clears throat> so when, this is the basic uh, assumption I had at that time. So, and uh, and in fact, uh, the image circulation of American films, well, American star, was enormously influential in the 1910s and 1920s in Japan, as I described in my book. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but this is not so a simple process of circulation. As I also discussed, the um, Japanese critics and audiences interpreted uh, interpreted the circulation of the American films and images and uh, expressed uh, their opinions and uh, feelings in through the publications or 
uh, magazine, film magazines, for instance. So, <clears throat> so I discussed in my book that uh, these discursive practices are valued or <clears throat> or hmm, make sense of the uh, American films. And so through this process, uh, American film starts uh, enormously influenced the Japanese film history. So this is the basic things I wanted to uh, discuss uh, through these two chapters. Perfect. Thank you so much. Now, one of the things that um, becomes really uh, interesting and really important in this part of the book, in these two chapters, chapter three and chapter four, Mm -hmm. is that you show us um, by looking at the case of Mary Pickford, by looking um, at the sort of the literary production of some critics like Tanizaki, um, mm-hmm. by looking at other kinds of sort of images that emerge out of this, you talk about the way that a new kind of stardom, a new kind of star persona emerges from this transnational co-production. Mm-hmm. This is a persona where the sexuality Mm-hmm. of the stars becomes really important and becomes emphasized. And this becomes yeah. a matter of, you know, some debate. Um, so can mm-hmm. you maybe talk a little bit about that aspect of what's going on? Because that continues to become important or continues to be important rather throughout the book, this identification or not of the kind of sexuality of stars with their persona and with stardom. Mm. Okay. Um yeah, maybe um, it would be easier <laughs> to to um, to talk about the chapter um, five or six, um, the chapters uh, in which I discuss the uh, onagata sure, okay. and uh, sure. female and uh, <clears throat> and the uh, actresses. Okay, sure. So, so, uh, so if I, yeah, that would be easy to sure. talk about your okay. concerns. Sure, no problem. So, what I'll yeah. do is I'll just kind of, um, in order to get us there, yeah, I'll yeah. just sort of um, uh, set out for listeners how we get. There. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. early in this part of the book, in part two, um, it sort of the book lays the foundations for understanding these kinds of transformations that are going to um, take on special salience in like chapter six and seven, when you talk mm-hmm. about this figure of the mm-hmm. Onagata, which we'll talk about in a moment. Right. And one of these issues that comes up is the increasing sexualization of mm-hmm. especially sort of a figures of the American star. And you talk about the idea and discourses that associate the kind of physique and the expressions of American actors' bodies as more natural in some way. So that becomes something that sets the stage. Um, Then after a discussion of the kind of um, the cultural values and ideologies um, that that go hand in hand with this promotion of American film stardom, the images and discourses thereof in terms of gender and class and aesthetics in chapter four, this then takes us into part three of the book, which is where you're leading us. Um, And part three looks at the ways that this circulation and co-production of um, Japanese and American um, forms of stardom 
really transforms Japanese film stardom in really interesting mm-hmm. ways in the early 1920s. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's jump from there to then one of the important chapters in this part of the book, which is chapter mm-hmm. six, which um, looks at the idea the figure of what's called an onagata mm-hmm. and the replacement of this figure with actresses, with other kinds mm-hmm. of film actresses in the 1920s. That's okay, so now that I've set that up, thank <laughs> you for your patience. Um, thank you for your patience with my yakking as I do this. Can you, um, for listeners then, as a way to take us into um, what you want to say about onagata, can you first perhaps explain um, for listeners who aren't familiar with the term, what yeah. is an onagata? Um, and then sort of um, talk mm. about whatever you want in terms of mm. what you wanted to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so the onagata, maybe many of many of the listeners know that onagata comes from uh, kabuki tradition, and so that is the um, male actors who plays the female characters or female uh, roles, and so the um, um, yeah, since the. Seventeenth uh, century, uh, when kabuki was established, uh, kabuki um, used uh, yeah, kabuki has used the onagata instead of uh, female uh, actresses, and then the um, Japanese films was influenced by this uh, practice. Uh, until 1920. So, in other words, in 1920, around 1920, that practice dramatically changed. After 1920, or after 1919, uh, most of the Japanese films uh, began to use uh, uh, actresses instead of onagata. Yeah, so uh, this is quite a peculiar um, uh, characteristics um, to compare to um, film practices in other countries. And so the uh, but yeah, I found the many so many interesting um, phenomena in this transition uh, from the onagata to. Uh, actresses. So, yeah. what are, what were some of the most interesting phenomena in that transition for you? Like, what what are some of the, the aspects of that transition that mm. you're most excited about? Mm. Mm, one of. <laughs> well, for example, we um, we talked about this yeah, yeah. issue of the sexuality of the actor, right. and the idea of naturalness. Yeah. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, yeah, this is <clears throat> so. Uh, this is related to the uh, my discussion in early earlier chapters. <laughs> so, um, um, so we uh, in this interview we already discussed the uh, influence or circulation of Americans American stars, right? And the critics valued the. Uh, representation of American stars. And so the uh, the transition between, uh, sorry, the transition from the onagata to actresses was 
uh, uh, inextricably <laughs> connected to this um, historical um, <laughs> phenomenon. So the uh, so one of the uh, important aspect is that uh, Japanese critics uh, paid particular attention to the uh, the body, physical body of actress actresses in American films, mm-hmm. and then uh, they recognized the difference between. Uh, American actresses and Onagatar in the 1910s. And then uh, they valued American stars over Japanese Onagatar. <laughs> so m- my basic assumption is that Onagatar emphasizes Onagata emphasizes uh, more her, her, his her performance mm-hmm. uh, than the um, the physique in itself. And then, um, so, <clears throat> but yeah, I assume that uh, discursive uh, evaluation of American star, especially um, American star's body, mm-hmm. uh, was a it was um powerful to 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 powerful to change the Japanese convention of onagata to the actress. Right. And this yeah. is this is actually one of the um another way that I think the book speaks really productively to a history of bodies um, mm. because one of the things so early on in the book and in the third chapter i think you make the point that as images and discourses of american stardom start entering into circulating and being kind of transformed in the context of japan one of the things that's emphasized is the naturalness American actors. Right. So when we get to chapter six, um, one of the things that happens, at least, and, and tell me if I've got this totally wrong, right, <laughs> is that the onagata um, who were who had been men who played the roles of women, um, mm. they become less. They they kind of give way to actresses as stars in part because the kind of actress's sexuality is praised as more natural, right? Mm-hmm. Defined in terms of the coherence between a kind of the sex of the body and the gender of the role being performed. And this really comes yeah. from an engagement with this image of the sexuality and naturalness of the American film star. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> thank you for No, I mean, thank stuff. you. That the yeah. book is super clear on this. So, uh, so you make it easy for me. <laughs> that, that's one yeah. of the great things. Yeah. So, but the, um, yeah, actually, uh, I tried to uh, discuss the complexity of many, um, I mean, the connection of many uh, elements. So, uh, so that's why it's a little bit difficult to 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 explain it. Yeah. Uh, 
No, I think for a short time. <laughs> so one one of the other things that um, before we move to the last part of the book, I just mm. want to make sure we we at least mention one of the other really important things that this third part of the book does, and that is um, you take us into a cinema company, and you mm. show us in the fifth chapter the ways that this kind of restructuring of or this transformation of Japanese film stardom mm. is not just about the circulation of discourses and mm. images, but it's mm. also about a deep structural change mm. in terms of the institutions mm. of film and the institutions of yeah. film stardom. Mm. So um, this is you, you talk about various aspects of this in the fifth chapter. You talk about the Shochiku Kinema Company um, and the, the ways that they really restructured the system in which actors were training um, and performing and being exploited. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to maybe mention um, what are the most for you important mm. or interesting elements of that part of the story that you would want to share with listeners? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, the, uh, the Japanese industry dramatically uh, changed in 1920, around 1920, and um, uh, why change? Uh, uh, no, no. Um, it's important to to look out uh, in what ways the Japanese industry uh, changed. Um, it's a little bit difficult to to dis to to explain about it in a short term, but time. But the um, um, mm, Mm -hmm. um, like simply said, yeah, simply said. Yeah, uh, and yeah. You talk about um, <laughs> the importance, for example, of actors being ranked um, according to how popular they right. were, how senior they were, right? And how yes. they sort of, um, yeah. So is there anything like okay. that that you feel like is, is yeah. really important <clears throat> for listeners to understand? Yeah, probably the way of managing uh, actors, actors, um, Changed at that time, so the new, so new companies like uh, Shochiku and Kokkatsu and Taikatsu emerged in 1920. So these new companies uh, explored a new way of uh, managing uh, actors, and this is uh, greatly influenced by the uh, American film industry or company. And because uh, some executive members of these uh, companies traveled to the United States to and to to uh, visit some studios, and so the uh, mm, there are many aspects, but one of the important aspects is that. Uh, in the 1910s, when Onoe Matsunosuke was a distinguished uh, film star, uh, the number of uh, actors were much more limited, much more a small number of uh, actresses um, played for uh, films. But the, uh, after nine, yeah, since 1920, uh, new companies uh, attempted to hire a uh, more uh, higher number 
of actors and actresses, and then um, they hierarchized uh, film actresses in terms of their popularity. Mm-hmm. And that popularity is based on the consumption of films and the female film stars, right? And uh, as I discussed in earlier chapters, Onoe Masunosuke uh, took over the tradition of kabuki, and the kabuki actors, well, kabuki actors' ranking was not necessarily uh, based on their popularities, but also the, um, um, what can I say? <laughs> Uh, I forgot the <laughs> term I used, but um, yeah, the special way of ranking mm-hmm. uh, based on the uh, the age or skills or or um, the career, sure, right? And so this was not necessarily based on the um, the, the popularity. Or, or capitalist way of um, evaluating the actors. So, so in that way, the new companies try to manage on the basis of, say, maybe a capitalist principle more, more, ex- more explicitly. And this is um, mm, one of the important points I I, I tried to make. Uh, in this chapter, yeah. That's that's great. Um, I'm really glad you brought that up because that also, um, that becomes a really important theme for this part of the book. And, you, and elsewhere in the same chapter, um, in the in a discussion of the kind of theorization and a new kind of theorization of film and acting by a director, Morata Minoru, mm-hmm. talk about the idea of actors um, being instruments. So an actor's body being like a musical instrument. And mm-hmm. it's part of the book. I mean, I think in concert with this emergence of a capitalist discourse that's infusing what's happening here, actors mm. become not only instruments to be exploited, but they mm. also become commodities. And, mm. um, we won't have time to really talk about this in detail, but chapter seven mm. looks at the emergence of a Japanese actress, um, mm. uh, Kurishima Sumiko in particular, yes. right, as an example of the commodity Cization, the commodification, yeah. commodification, yeah. sorry, so yeah. I, I can't speak English, the commodification mm. of Japanese actresses mm. in the context of the rise of a consumer yeah. society. So that becomes mm-hmm. actually a really important part of the mm-hmm. book, kind of yeah. labor history and consumer history is a, also right. an important part of what's happening here. Yeah. So part four of the book, as we come to this last part, Looks at the relationship between cinema stardom and modernity. Now, mm. modernity and ideas of the modern have been um, up to now really mm. part of the book from the very beginning, but part four really focuses in very mm. explicitly on ideas mm. of the modern and modernity right. as um, really important foci of the discussion, right. important concepts. Yeah. So this part of the book has two chapters.
chapters, and these chapters focus on two different individuals, mm. Clara Bow and mm. Natsukawa Shizue. Mm. And it uses these cases to look at how film stardom involved the phenomenon of the modern. Both figures mm. are explicitly associated with the language of the modern here. Mm. Now, both figures, um, Clara Bow and Natsukawa Shizue, both figures are modern girls and modern actresses, but they're mm-hmm. very different ways of being modern actresses in right. different ways. So this really, I think, productively um, breaks apart what mm-hmm. some other studies treat as a kind of a fairly coherent and a fairly unproblematic single mm-hmm. category of the modern girl. Right here mm-hmm. we have very different ways of being modern girl. So mm-hmm. um, to kind of just talk a little bit about this, let's start with Clara Bow. In what ways for you, or one of some of the most important ways for you, that Clara Bow was a modern girl in the context of her film stardom in Japan? Mm. What was mm. important about her modernity in the mm. context of the film stardom in Japan? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Maybe before talking about <laughs> Clara Bow, maybe I. Uh, my assumption about the uh, modernity, yeah, modernity. Uh, as I mentioned, modernity. Uh, actually, there are there are uh, several aspects of modernity. One is that modernity as a critical analytical uh, term, but oh, but on, but also, but at the same time, uh, modernity is important to to. Uh, I mean, the modernity is uh, refers to the historical condition of the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, and so on. And <clears throat> so, the uh, my assumption, my a very fundamental assumption, is that modernity is multi-layered. Many different kinds of aspects are interrelated um, in in this term, right? And so Clara Bow is, is, uh, didn't represent all aspects of modernity. I don't, I, I, so I assume. But, uh, but as I mentioned, the, um, uh, the critical discourse or fun discourse of the time identified Clara Bow as a representative figure of modernity. And they used the word modern or modern girl. And so in that sense, um, uh, Clara Bow uh, was a very important figure to to, uh, epitomize the modernity. But again, I, I also, but yeah, uh, uh, in my book, I also assume that uh, the star like Krishna Sumiko, who is, who was not referred to with the word modern, also um, epitomized the some aspect of modernity. So, in that sense, incredible uh, was the single important figure, and uh, 
and then、um, <laughs> what was your question? Sorry. Sure, no, this, this is great. This is actually、um, you, you've I, I, answered it. Yeah, yeah no, it's I, great. Yeah,、um, I thought that I needed to to、um, clarify my assumption about、uh, yeah modernity. So, and then the、uh, Clairvaux.、Um, What's the question about so, Clarabo?、Yeah. Um, so, what I'm actually interested in bringing out for listeners here is the way that Clarabo and Natsukawa Shizue、mm-hmm. re- both represented modern girls, but did、mm-hmm. so very differently. So, in chapter that's why right. So, in chapter eight,、um, you talk about Clarabo being associated with the the discourse of the modern girl in a very particular、yeah. way. She's a fla- she's associated with flappers.、Um, yes. The characters she plays are very sexualized.、Yeah. She's very controversially modern. I think is the、yeah. phrase. In、yes. contrast,、um, Natsuka Shizue is not controversially modern. She's respectably modern. So she's、That's、also、right. a modern girl, but she's a modern girl in a very Different way than Clara Bow, so maybe、um, can you perhaps talk about、um, for you what are some of the most important ways that Natsukawa Shizue differed from the modernity or the modern girlness of Clara、yeah. Bow,、um, and 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 what's important for us to understand about that in order to understand the larger arguments that you're making in this part、mm-hmm. of the book? Yeah, thank you.、Um, so the.、Uh, mm. I assume, yeah. I suppose that a、uh, general、uh, image of modern girl is、um, how can you say it's、uh, controversial and uh, uh, mischievous, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And but but I try to、uh, more closely examine. That kind of characteristic of modern girls, and then I wanted to discuss the、um, uh, various different aspects the、uh, modern girls, what the image of modern girls involved at that time,、mm-hmm. and so as you mentioned. The、um, on the one hand,、um, there were there was a type of modern girl like Clarabel, who was targeted as the controversial figure. But on the other hand, uh, some uh, actresses who were also called modern girls. Um, represented quite different、uh, meaning、uh, from the Clarabel,、uh, the, the、uh, modern girls who are controversial.、Mm-hmm. So、uh, I wanted to highlight these contrast、uh, images in、uh, modern girl. In other words.、Uh, Um, maybe、uh, there are two as two levels.、Uh, there are different types of modern girls at that time.、Uh, by the way, the modern girls were not modern girls were、uh, not necessarily the、um, 
complete uh, uh, people. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> can I say uh, uh, they were uh, discursively constructed, and so the number of the modern girls in in reality was quite small, I think. But the um, through the um, <clears throat> print. Uh, yeah, through the uh, magazines and newspapers, other print materials. So uh, the image of uh, modern girls was constructed. And yeah. <clears throat> then, uh, so there are two types of uh, modern girl images. The, on the other hand, uh, I also wanted to highlight the, the connection between the modern girl figure or modern girl image with the governmental policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the Natsukawa Shizue was regarded as a kind of respectable uh, modern girl. Uh, in other words, uh, quite conservative in a sense. And uh, and then, um, so maybe, um, yeah, uh, I, I thought that um, through analyzing the figure of Krishna Sumiko, I might be able to uh, highlight the process of modern girl, I mean, process of Mm, 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 I can say uh, discipline. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the, okay. Uh, so no, no, the image, of, yeah, the image of the uh, modern girl um, uh-huh. may uh, might have been transformed from the uh, controversial figure to more disciplined image of modern girl, which fits into the governmental um, policy. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And, and you talk about um, in Chapter 9, yeah. this is specifically contextualized just to um, for the um, historians of the audience right, who might be especially interested in mm. what you just said about the contextualizing mm-hmm. this within government policies. Mm. You talk specifically about this um, emergence of this respectably modern girl. And for uh, in the case of Natsukawa Shizue, in the context of a rise of consumerism, a kind of fashion or a vogue for Marxism, mm-hmm. and kind of nationalistic aspirations. Mm-hmm. And this kind of the, the figure of the nation or the nation state and its connection with stardom, um, so that the connection rather between the nation, stardom, mm-hmm. politics, um, nationalism, this comes to a head really in the conclusion so as we come to the end of the book and we come to the conclusion of our conversation, and I'm mm-hmm. sorry, actually, I'm sorry that we're already at the conclusion because this is such a fascinating book, but you bring us from this figure of the respectably modern girl in this very nationalistic context in chapter nine and bring us out into um, 
kind of a larger study or a more focused study of a figure who actually began the book, although we didn't talk about her yet, but we'll talk about her now. And this mm-hmm. is the case of the actress Ri Koran, um, who's mm-hmm. actually a Chinese actress, Li Xinglang. And she becomes really popular in 1939. And you talk mm-hmm. about the emergence of her stardom in the mm-hmm. context of colonial modernity. So mm-hmm. by the end of the book, we have a specifically colonial context mm-hmm. for this um, modern stardom in a way that mm-hmm. I think really opens the study out potentially mm-hmm. into lots of really fascinating mm-hmm. directions that it could go mm-hmm. there. So, thank you. Uh, thank you so yeah. much for making the time to talk with me today. I, I'm sure listeners um, already have a sense of how fascinating the book mm-hmm. is and also probably of how much there is in the book. Now, we only barely scratched the surface of what's a very, very rich study. And there's a lot that we didn't have a chance to talk about. Is there anything in particular that we didn't have a chance to talk about, um, but that you feel is important to mention for listeners and, and maybe especially for listeners who haven't yet had a chance to read the book? Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> there are so many things I, <laughs> I want to talk about. And, um, Mm, okay. Yeah. So this. Mm, <clears throat> so as we have talked, uh, modernity is the one of the most important uh, aspect in this book, and and also I try to uh, highlight the um, many different aspects or dimensions of modernity. And then, as you mentioned, the, I refer to the colonial modernity in the conclusion. Um, maybe I, I, uh, I should clarify this point. Sure. Um, so, um, hmm. so from the um, chapter, the first chapter through the last chapter, I didn't uh, discuss uh, colonial modernity. Uh, so much, and by colonial modernity, I mean that. Uh, especially, I mean that uh, during, mm, yeah, before the World War Two and during the World War Two, uh, <clears throat> Japan was a kind of empire to 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 colonize Korea and. Uh, Taiwan and and other uh, Hokkaido, Okinawa, and also semi-colonized the uh, northern uh, China and uh, Southeast uh, Asia, right? And then uh, I wanted to take this issue uh, for my study of uh, female stardom, but I didn't, I couldn't. Uh, take pages for this uh, matter in my book. But um, one of the reasons I didn't uh, dis- discuss uh, this matter in this book uh, is because um, uh, there were little stars mm-hmm. uh, from other Asian countries during the 1920s and uh, until the late 1930s. 
and maybe a uh, uh, recording, even recording can't be called a Chinese star because she, her parents were Japanese. Right. So uh, virtually uh, there were, there was no, um, no stars from other Asian countries uh, before the World War II, before the end of World War II. But this suggests that imbalance um, between Japanese stars and other Asian stars or actresses or actors. And this is is so especially compared to the relationship between American stars and Japanese stars or American um, influence and Japanese film history, right? Um, this is what we discussed earlier in this interview. So such kind of imbalance or power structure, we might say, can be observed uh, through uh, looking at the stardom. So I wanted to highlight these um, uneven relationship global relationships uh, through the study of uh, film star, film stardom. Great. Yeah. Well, Hideaki, thank you so much. Um, so now that the book is out, congratulations on the book. What's next for you? Are you working on any projects uh, right now that you're particularly excited by? Yeah, right now I have two projects, big project, maybe three pro- big projects, but my own project, my own book projects are two. Um, one, of, one of them is to, it's about audiences. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, but it's really difficult to discuss audiences, uh, film audiences, I mean, um, especially because empirical evidence uh, usually uh, don't exist, are uh, not so available about audiences. Mm-hmm. So my approach is that uh, I analyze, I try to analyze the film audiences um, in terms of the uh, that that the uh, the concept or conception of social categories mm-hmm. like the masses, the people, um, the people or Japanese word minshu, or the citizens, or the um, the national kokumi national, or the imperial uh, subjects, and so I. <clears throat> Right now, I'm trying to uh, discuss the film audiences in relation to these social categories uh, throughout film history from the 1920s until, actually, until the present. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, this is really, really ambitious work, so I'm really uh, struggling to... (laughs) (laughs) to 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 um, uh, make a book, make it a book, 
but um, but I have already published some articles about this project, so uh, hopefully I I will complete <laughs> this book um, in a new future. Good. Yeah, the other project is not so. Uh, so the uh, this project is quite related to the. Uh, my previous book, uh, this book about film stardom, I so in this book, uh, making personas, I uh, deal with the um, uh, star. Mm-hmm. So the audience is a kind of in contrast with the stars, the the receivers of the stars and films, right? Mm-hmm. So the I wanted to 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 uh, deal with the other aspect or other and other end point of the film. <laughs> yeah, and the the other project is about the um, environment, the relationship between film and environment or ecology. So this is quite different project from uh, making personal. Yeah. Well, Hideaki, thank you so much for sharing your time and your yeah. expertise with us. It's really been a pleasure and best of luck with your new projects. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to new books in East Asian studies. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you next time. <laughs>